Good morning. Welcome to Grace. We're glad that you're here this morning on this balmy winter morning. Feels balmy, doesn't it? Calling for rain, 40-some degrees, and praise God for winter in Indiana. Um, We get every season. I'm praising him for that today. I'm excited this morning uh, to introduce our theme for the year. If you've never been part of Grace at the beginning of a year, we like to cast the theme for the entire year and kind of run our whole year through that theme. It factors into how we make decisions, how we live, how we worship, how we do ministry, and pray about it and ask the Lord what it is that he wants us to do this year and and how that might happen. So this year, our theme is Shake It Up. Maybe you're wondering what these little straight arms are coming down. These are buttons to aerosol cans that our graphic design uh, on staff, Andy Jewett, does a phenomenal job. And you understand this logo better at the end of the message. But we're excited. And we're going to ask you to think and rethink every area of your life. From even this morning, how you got up, even where you sit on Sunday mornings. Maybe you've gotten into a rut there and and there's a whole other group of people on the east side of the auditorium that you never knew came to grace. And there's a whole other group on the west side that you never knew came to grace. And there's a whole other group, hundreds of people right now, that are sitting in our Link Auditorium. Link Auditorium is the same service. Worship over there. It's not a, an overflow service. We have two services on a Sunday morning. Maybe you walked in. And you didn't realize there's a whole other group of people right behind us that are watching on screens and, and, and projected on a screen and monitors, and they're experiencing what you're experiencing. So I encourage you to shake it up there. Maybe sun, next Sunday morning you go and find this place called The Link that you never have walked into and, and find a whole other group of people. But we're asking you to consider shaking up and reevaluating all areas of your lives. You might say, why? Because we are creatures me included, are creatures of habit. Now, there are some habits that are worth being uh, repeating every day and even every other day or every week. Yet often what happens is sometimes we get become creatures of habit and we form patterns of lethargy. We form patterns of apathy and mediocrity and complacency. And we need to be roused out of the funk we have fallen into. It happens. It just happens. If we're not careful, we don't surround ourselves with other believers who challenge us, who encourage us. If we don't move from these these centers of what I call holy huddles, and we don't get to walk into an avenue where someone is just finding Christ, or they they just receive Christ, and you want to grow, get near and around or lead someone to Jesus. Their fire will envelop your life. What if we reevaluated all the areas of our lives? What if we were willing to do that? We're much like, I would say, paint cans. And probably at your home somewhere, or maybe you've seen it, you have a place where you have paint cans that are stored. Maybe it's in your garage. Maybe it's in your basement. Maybe you have a, a shed that they're in. And generally speaking, there's a variety of colors that are there. Used for all kinds of purposes. You have clear. You might have shellac. You might have lacquer. You might have primer, you might have red, green, blue, varieties of colors. Yet the reality is these these paint cans aren't any good if they just remain on the shelf. The paint was intended to be used. It was intended to be used, and it was intended to touch the fabric of life. They were intended 
for you to take them and use them. Otherwise, they just remain on a shelf and they collect dust and they're of no purpose whatsoever. In fact, if you've ever grabbed a hold of a paint can that hasn't been used in a while, you know that you have to do something to it before you use it. And in order to use it, you've got to get the lid off of it first. But what do you have to do? You have to what it up. What do you have to do? Shake it up. And you shake and you shake and you shake until that little ball bearing that's inside of you has fully done its purpose by mixing up the ingredients that are inside of it. Otherwise, it's useless to have a a paint can on the shelf that remains there. So you shake and you shake and you shake. You shake it up because inside of this can are the ingredients that make this can become what it's intended to be. It's supposed to touch the fabric of life. You are supposed to leave your mark somewhere on the fabric of life every day. You have gifts, talents, and abilities that God wants you to use every single day. However, many, if not tons, spend the majority of their time still on the shelf, never using and taking what God has given them and applying it to the fabric of life. We've placed ourselves on the shelf. We've said this, God, I know I have talents. I know this is me. I know what I've been wired for. I know what I've been made for. Yet I choose to remove myself from the fabric of life. And the truth is, we all have different purposes that God has us for. Sometimes our responsibility Our role in life is kind of behind the scenes. We are the primer that is placed on the fabric of life so that it preserves and it allows someone else or something else to step to the front lines and to use their talents better. You become the backdrop so that it is a better person, better coat. All responsibilities are just as important. But God has designed us to be used. So in order for us to be used, we have to shake it up. For some of us, it's been a very, very, very long time since we've been used. And maybe sin has placed us on the shelf. We've made some choices. We've done some things that are against what God would want us to do. And so when that happens, our lives literally get clogged up. And if you've ever used a spray paint can, in order to put it back into commission, you have to turn it upside down and spray this way to clean the can so that it can be used. And then you shake it back up and you enter the fabric of life with your touch, with your talent, with your skill. The point is this, every one of us has potential. Every one of us has talents, gifts, and abilities that God has given us. We're supposed to take them and add them to the fabric of life. Somehow, someway, every day, we should be able to look at our day and say, I entered the ball game of life. I made my mark on the life that God has given me. The reality is this too. We all have a certain amount of life. 
our days are numbered. Some come in larger containers, some in smaller containers. But the point in this life is this. We should never get to the end of our lives with paint left over. It would be a tragedy if you and I were to get to the end of our life and we didn't use up all that God intended us to use. But it happens all the time. You can stand at the gravesite of a friend, of a relative, of a neighbor, of an employee, of a boss, of a manager, and they could have gotten to the end of their life, and because they chose to remove themselves from the fabric of life, they never ended their life the way God wanted them to. Today, we're going to see two individuals out of thousands who chose to shake things up. And when they shook things up and decided to enter the fabric of life and use their skills, gifts, and abilities for God, it changed everything. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and I'll show you what I mean. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And stand with me as we read this. 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Let's read this out loud. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked a Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. You may have a seat. Let me just give you the context of this account as you just read. The Israelites are about to be attacked again or fight against Philistines. Philistines are so numerous in number that they say they're like the sand of the seashore. That means lots and lots and tons and tons. You can't count the sand on the seashore. They have chariots and charioteers. They have thousands of infantrymen, 
They have a large army, and the Israelites have a decision to make. Will they attack the Philistines with the power of God and advance their kingdom, or will they remain on the shelf of lethargy, of apathy, of complacency, of mediocrity, and fear? We know from this account that they are hiding in the caves, and they are quaking with fear. It's hard for me, though, to imagine today. Imagine Jesus enduring the pain and death on the cross for you and I to remain on the shelf. There is no way that God ever created you and me. There is no way that he created us and died on the cross for us to take our lives, to collect dust on the shelf of life. And some, you have spent the majority of your life sitting and not serving Let me just ask you a question. How are you using your gifts, abilities, and talents for God? Are you continually taking in, taking in, taking in? If all you're doing is taking in, then what you have decided is, I am going to sit on the shelf and take more information in. Or are you putting yourself and your personality and your talents into the fabric of life? I highly doubt that Jesus fearfully and wonderfully created us with gifts, talents, and abilities to not use them to do good works. Look again at verse 6. Look what it says. They got the news that the Philistines had assembled. And in verse 6, it says this. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves, thickets, and among the rocks, and in the pits and cisterns. That's not the picture of a redeemed follower of God. I don't care what stands against you. My Bible and your Bible says no enemy formed against us will ever prosper. Our Bible tells us that he who is with us can always stand against those that are opposed to us. God, listen to me, God does not dwell in the cave of disobedience and cowardice. If that's where you're at, you know what you need to do. You need to repent of your sin and say, God, I am wasting my time and talent. I need to clear the the spray nozzle so that I can get back in the game of life and to make an imprint on this generation and the generation to come. How do we end up there? How 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 does a whole generation, how does a whole family, how does a dad, how does a mom, How does a grandpa and grandma, how does a person who calls himself a Christ follower spend their time on the shelf of complacency, dusty, cave, hidden, afraid of God? How do we get there? How and when did your walk with Jesus only become slipping in on a Sunday morning to worship? Let me ask you a question. Is that you? Listen to me. God never intended you to only come in Slip in, slip out. Slip in, slip out. He wants you to get involved, take your talents, and enter the game. This is the year that you get to shake it up and use your talents for God. Where is the fire that used to disturb you to get in the trenches and to be a player in the game? Probably along the way, a lot of choices got you here. And the reality is this, it's no secret as as people age that you can spend more time planning for the last 10 years of your life called retirement than planning 
for the millions of years in eternity. And how you live here will impact that. This stuff is heartbreaking. Look what the Israelites do in verse 7. Look again, chapter 13 and verse 7. Some of the Hebrews even crossed the, the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul himself, the king, remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. You see, here's what happens. We allow fear. Hear me out. We allow fear to steal the future of our lives. You see, God has this incredible, it says in the Bible that he has a plan for us to prosper. He has a plan for us to be used. He has this beautiful plan out there, and yet we let fear. What might they say? What will they think? I'm afraid. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I don't know if I can jump in. Last time I tried, I failed. And we let fear literally steal our future. Listen to me. No more. No more. No more. It's time we shake it up this year. It's time we say, Lord, enough of this nonsense. I'm getting off the shelf, and I'm getting into this game called life. My hope is that this year we shake it up and reevaluate everything in our lives. It would be a tragedy to end our lives with paint still in the can. But our tendency is to retreat when we're hard-pressed. Our tendency is to run to the cave of depression. Our, our tendency is to run to the cave of discouragement. Our, our, our tendency is to go the shelf of mediocrity. Part of it is that we hide behind the dusty traditions that choke the passion and vitality of radical faith. Paul would say this later to young Timothy as he was trying to train him. Paul, a much older man. Timothy, a young, up-and-coming pastor. And Paul would say this to Timothy, and he said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. He said, listen, Timothy, have, there will be those who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power, and he said this, have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. As I was processing this message, I did some of my own evaluating. Are there ruts? Are there things that I'm doing? Are, there's, are these systems I have in place that I'm just spinning my tracks? Are, are there's, is my quiet time really what you want, God? Am I serving the way that you want to? What, what, are there people that, that, I, that I need to reach that, that I have pulled away from and And the reality is this, we can become so afraid of death that we never really live. We can become so afraid of failure that we never really risk. We can become so afraid of pain that we never discover how strong we really are in Christ. Don't ever let pain stop you. Don't ever let the unknown stop you. You see, God has fearfully and wonderfully made us to do good works for him. I love watching people. And, and I always look for people who inspire me. And I want to get around them. I, like, I like to grow by watching you live life. And, and, and so it's all ages. Like, I love watching the teenager who's on fire for Jesus. I love it. I love just getting beside of them and, and watching them, unashamed faith. And even yesterday on, on Instagram, I saw a couple of our teens that were at the Refuel Conference, worship conference, and they were three, three dudes standing outside and just boldly singing songs to Jesus. Like, that was just awesome. They weren't afraid to be called weird or geeks or nerds or Jesus followers. They were just like, we love Jesus. Especially the Shank boys and Caleb. You're like, I'm inspired by that. I love, I love my office window. It lets me see County Road 21, and 
I love looking out there in the summertime because I get to see who mows our lawn. Like, I think there are so many men in this church who know how to mow grass. Like, where are you at? And then I watch Laren Byer, 82 years old. I watch him. He can barely get to the tractor. Knees are shot from serving God and, and living life. And I watch him get on and I watch him go out in the cold. Never complain. Like, loves it. Like, I watch him, I watch him mow 20 acres. Watch him get out there and mow. And there's time he's got his hat pulled down over his ears. And I, 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 and I think, you know what? He's going to die with his boots on. <laughs> well, what a way to go. Like, I, I, love, I, love, I love watching Dick Gingrich. And, and I love to, to watch, you know, he's, he, he, he's now serving and, and, and driving people around and, and, and from, from retirement homes. And the reason he's doing it is so he can talk to them about Jesus. So he gets in a vehicle, and, and he's, he's telling them about Jesus. Like, he's not giving up. I, I love, like, he's 72, and he puts, still puts high-top basketball sneaks. I'm like, I like that dude. Like, that's cool. Like, he's not out of touch. And I, I love Chuck Cheek. I, I, I've loved him for a while, and many of you, you, you know Chuck. But I love his fire. Like, he's still serving. Township trustee. He, didn't, he doesn't have to. He still tells people who Jesus is, and, 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 and he would tell you that you're normal. That's it. And I love that about it. I'm inspired by, by men and women who are still in the game that, 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 that no longer live on the shelf. As we can see this story, God's people are hiding in caves, thickets and rocks and cisterns. And they think this, that somehow they're better off hiding than walking in the power of God and facing the enemy in front of them. This concerns me. Because if we don't, that's me, you, us, this generation. If we don't get off of the shelf, your sons, your daughters, your wife, your family, your cousin, your employees, all those people around you, they will never know that there's a God that loves them and he gave his son Jesus Christ and that they need Jesus too. And when they have Jesus, they have an eternity, not just for heaven, but here on earth. And they have hope in a savior that will never leave them nor forsake them. We gotta get in the game. Judges 2.10 says this, this verse, I pray, oh Lord, may we never be the church and may we never be the family. Judges 2.10 says this, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Listen, may we never, ever be the church that that's said about. And may you never be the dad, the husband, the wife, the mom, the sister, the daughter, the son, the brother, the uncle, the aunt that grew up and never took your talents and abilities, entered the game of life and mixed things up. And people looked at your life and say, there's something different about you. The only way the world will be one to Jesus is when you mix it up with them and say, I am doing it in the power of God. Now think about this. In this defeated, depressed, and discouraging circumstance, a man named Jonathan made a choice to shake things up. Look what he does. Look at chapter 13. Look at verses 19. Look how bad the situation was. Chapter 13 and verse 19. This is how desperate a situation it was. But Jonathan wouldn't retreat. Look at chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said. Otherwise, the Hebrews, the Israelites, will make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. 
The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and repointing goads. And then it says this in verse 22. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier was Saul, and Jonathan had a what? What's the word? Sword or a what? In his what? Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. And let me just say something. That's not very good if you're dependent on your sword. That's not very good if the only weapon you have is a a spear and a sword, and you're going against this army that's thousands and thousands, so many of them, that they're like the sand of the seashore. And if all the weapons you have is a sword and a spear, and your cousin Billy, he's got his hoe out there that he's sharpened to a point. Like, if that's all there is, then... You have a decision to make. Will I trust in God and believe, if he's calling me to it, that he'll take me through it? Am I trusting in the sword, or am I trusting in the power of God? Zechariah said this in Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord do we win. See, that's a whole different ballgame. Let me share one way that will help you shake things up in the coming year. If you look at this account, and we are, and we're going to unpack it, all Jonathan needed was someone to join him. He has, there's no doubt that he has cousins. There's no doubt that there are siblings there, even his own father. There's no doubt that there's families, and there's uncles, and there's other men that are there. But for some reason, only one man chooses to join Jonathan. And he doesn't even have a name. He's just called the armor bearer. And he's a young man, we know. And the reality is if we want to shake things up this coming year, then we must, we must reevaluate our friends. And here's what I mean by that. Either you're making a difference in their life. And when they spend time with you, they are watching you. And you are encouraging them to become more like Christ. But if you are running with people who are dragging you away, who are putting you on the shelf, then you need to reevaluate your friends. Let me just say it this way. Show me your friends. I will show you your future in 2018. Hear me out. Some of us are in a rut. We meet with the same people. We, we eat with the same people. We recreate with the same people. We work with the same people. And the reality is these same people are the very people that are placing us on the shelf that aren't getting in our face and challenging us to be all that Christ wants us to be. I've said this, and I'll say this again. You need, and I need, everyone needs an accountability partner that scares you just a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. That there's a part of you, when, when you're doing something or said something or refusing to do something or walking to mediocrity, that you know you have to go to this person at the end of the week and say, I did this. I didn't do this. There's got to be a part of you that is disappointed that you let them down. There has to be. Otherwise, listen to me. That's not anything else is not accountability. It's compatibility. Now we have plenty, plenty of people that we're compatible with. Yeah, we love it. Comes in. Yeah, me too. I ate too much too. I didn't work out. I didn't read the Bible. Here, give me a hug. (laughs) Isn't that great? Just get back next week. And we have so many holy huddles. We meet for men's and women's breakfasts. We get together. See you next month. No one is in our face 
challenging us, encouraging us, sharpening us, spurring us on to good works. You see, that's a one another that's been lost. So either you are that person or you need to surround yourself with that kind of person. And beware of friends that go down the excuse expressway. They're the same people here. I mean, and maybe they're in your life and they say things like this. The Philistines, they're too strong. We could never overcome. I know. Let's go eat a pizza. We're out of weapons. Yeah, I know. We don't have bullets. We don't have an AK or AR. I know. But we walk in the power of our Lord. Because no weapon formed against us will ever prosper in the name of Jesus. Or, it's the government's fault. Oh, man, I'm stopping. (laughs) Take that person and shake them up. This is what exactly happens to many of us when we go down the excuse expressway. Let me ask you a question. Are you that person? I'm not strong enough. I can't overcome. It's too difficult. I've tried it before. I used to be able to. When I was in my 20s, when I was in my 30s, we, I used to. I got all these things from my past. To experience the power of God in this coming new year, you must sever ties with those who prefer to hide in dusty caves and join heart and soul with, with those that want to climb mountains and live like Jesus could rapture the church today. That's who you want to run with. Listen, I don't want to run with anybody who doesn't want to run that way. Like, don't check me out. Unless you, unless, unless you want to live like Jesus is rapturing your church, then, then listen, I don't want to run with you. I don't want to run with you unless, unless you're willing to take a hard look. Listen, I, I, I'll help you. Listen, I want you to help me. I want you to challenge me. I want you to poke me. I want you to rattle me. That's what friends do for each other. There should be more courage in us than danger ahead of us. See, the Bible in Proverbs says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. If you're completely honest and you realize you are that person that people need to cut ties with because you live on excuse expressway. I was in my study this week, and it's so interesting as we age how if we're not careful, all of our praises are like 20 years ago and things that used to, and we talk about the former days, like, I don't want to be that dude. Like, I've heard it. And, you know, and, and the stories get better as we get farther away from it. Like, we used to, in high school, we jumped six foot five, and then by the time we we're 56, it was like six foot nine, wasn't it? So they get better. And it's like, we, we talk about the past. I was sitting in my study this week, and, and, I, I, and, and, and I was looking at the shelf that Ann has put together. And on the shelf were some really, like, I thought really cool things. Like, there's just a few of them. And we all have them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I mean, I think it's good to set goals out there and, and, and to walk after. And, and, and I was just looking there, and I was pondering, like, is, like I hope that, that all that I have isn't from the past. Like, I'm looking, like, first place in my age group in a 5K, like, when I was between 30 and 39. Like, that's a long time ago. Like, here's another first place. And here's, like, these, these really meant something to me. Like, here's first place in a race between 43 and 49. That, that was a long time ago, too. And, and I began to look at some of these, like, physical team, like marathon. I ran a marathon in Cleveland. Like, 
It was pretty cool. Like, that was quite an accomplishment. Went after goal, and Hannah and I ran a half marathon together. And, and, and I got this basketball, like this net, and it hangs in my study, and it hit me. Like, I was part of a four-state basketball championship team. I actually hit the winning free throws in a four-state against Washington, D.C. Like, like, back then, that was such a big deal. Really? And, and like, like, I have this trophy, and it's got dust all over it, and be quite frank, all the other ones got thrown away, but somehow this one survived. <laughs> I must have hit it from Ann. I don't know. <laughs> like, this was in ninth grade. This, ninth grade! Back when I was like 14 and 412, 411, like, barely five foot. It was at a basketball camp in Hagerstown, Maryland. It was a big deal then. There were 70 campers. Like, I was ninth grade. One-on-one champ. Like, big deal, huh? And it hit me. Like, I pray that, that I'm just not looking back and saying, I remember the time when I was 15. Like, I, was, I did the math. It was 41 years ago. I pray that somehow that, that I'm taking what God has given me now, and you are too, and I'm shaking it up, and I'm making a difference now, and I'm getting into the game now. I'm praying that, that, that I'm not banking on the laurels of my past and my praises are so old. Listen, you want to know if you're in the game, date your praises. How often? Yeah, I remember the time when I was in Sunday school and we had flannel graph and David hit Goliath. Remember that? Yeah, me too. It was awesome because I brought my neighbor and he was like seven. And it was neat. He, he, he prayed to receive Christ. Praise the Lord. He prayed to receive Christ. How long ago was that? 107 years ago. Listen, get in the game today. Way too many Christ followers have underestimated how much God wants to do in and through them. Let me just say it this way. Victory is not for the, the tame and timid in 2018, but it's reserved for those that walk to a beat of a different drummer. So watch what happens. So Jonathan says, let's go, let's go. Chapter 14, Jonathan, he's ready to go. In verse 4, it says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And then he says this, look, he says, Perhaps the Lord will act on our what? Behalf. Look again. Come on, help me out. Verse 6. Perhaps the Lord will act on our what? Every time I read this, I think of that scene in Dumb and Dumber. And I'm not saying you should go watch Dumb and Dumber, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a scene where they're sitting together, the two friends, and he's interested in this pretty girl. And, and his friend looks at him and says, you got like a one in a million chance to ever meet her. And he says, so you're saying I got a chance. <laughs> and every time I read this, it says this. It says, Jonathan said to young armor bearer, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So you're saying we got a chance. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And then he says this, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, and then he says these words, 
that when you got a friend that will do this with you, there's nothing like it. He says this to Jonathan. I am with you, heart and soul. I want you to come back context. Thousands of Philistines. They're on these cliffs, both sides. Just picture. You're standing in this valley. They're on this side and their side. Jonathan and this young armor bearer who doesn't even have a name. We don't even know his name. They look at each other, and the armor bearer says to Jonathan, hey, if you think we can do it, and you believe our God can help us win, that two of us can go against thousands, (laughs) I'm all in. That's the kind of friend that we need to be. That's the kind of friends that you need to run with. And listen to me. You can't do it alone. You got to do it in community. Let me just say, jump into training camp. Jump into fight club. You might say, well, I don't need fight club. I don't need that journey. Listen to me. It's not about you then. It's about you helping someone else become the person God wants them to be and to get off the shelf. Jonathan knew he was not supposed to die with this can full of paint with anything left. And too many of us live our lives like we do our 401k plans. We hope we have a whole bunch saved up at the end of our lives. (laughs) That's not how I see it. The Bible that I read and you read says, shake it up. Take these gifts, take these talents, take these abilities. And Paul said, when I got to the end of my life, I was a poured out offering. I got rid of everything. I poured myself out. The intent of us, of our lives, is not to die with paint still in the can. We should empty ourselves completely. Otherwise, we have wasted this ability and talent and gift that God has given us. Can I get one amen? Erwin McManus said this in one of his early books that I read. He said this about the Christian church. We have moved from a group of renegades to a religion of conformists. <laughs> Avoiding death is not the same as pursuing life. Hear me out. You and I, we were created to climb higher, to run faster, fly further. By the power and purpose of God, we have been called to be vertically inclined followers of Jesus who look to the mountains and find God and set our hearts and minds on heavenly things. And success has a price, but so does failure to try. Which price do you want to pay? Like, I don't want to get to the end of my life. I remember a time, Jim, you remember, like, he used to be passionate and stuff used to disturb him. And, man, Grace Community Church, they used to be on the front lines. People used to be coming to Christ, and they would be sending out people to take the gospel to the nation. Do you remember the day? Like, I don't want to hear, like, like I, I don't want to get to the end. Like, even when I pass on, like, my hope is that the followers of Christ at Grace Community Church, they, they continue to, to develop disciples, to develop disciples, to develop disciples who chase Jesus, and, and in their old age, they gum people to Jesus. I'd rather have battle scars that tell stories of adventures 
than dove soft skin. So what happens? Here's what happens. Read, read, look at this count. Verse, verse 8 says, Jonathan said, come on then. <laughs> We're going to go. We're going to cross over them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Meanwhile, think about this. All of Israel is hiding. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Here's what they said. Come on up, big boys. (laughs) Jim Brown paraphrased. We're going to teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. What would have happened if they didn't step up? Here's what I love about these two. They had no other plan. It was, there was no plan B. It's either we go up there and die or we go up there and win. <laughs> like, what a way to live. Isn't that a way to live? Like, I want to go out. Don't you want to go out? Like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, we hear that. Do we really believe that? And I love that picture. Like, I mean, just picture. Now, where are the other Israelites? The other Israelites. You know where they're at? They're hiding in the caves. They got their binoculars out. Hey, they're halfway up. Hope they make it. <laughs> Can you believe it? They're, they're really climbing. Oh, man, they got too much faith. Man, what's wrong with them? Like, they should be down here. I want to go back to the, the, those trenches and those caves and just kick those people out of there. You see, you can't go with God and stay on the shelf where you are right now. So what happens? Look what happens. Verse 15 says, Then panic struck the whole army, and those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was panic sent by God. Saul's outlook at Gibeah and Benjamin, and saw the army melting away in all the directions. And Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. Church, he doesn't even know it's his own son. When they did, they came back. Hey, by the way, it's Johnny and his armor-bearer friend who, who were not here. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. And that time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. They killed each other. Verse 22 says, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country, who ran away because they were quaking in fear of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. If we are not vigilant in this coming year, then our past will just be an extension of our future. Mediocrity, 
lethargy, apathy, and complacency. God never intended us to spend our lives on the shelves. True story is told of from the movie Braveheart. And Braveheart made famous the Scottish struggle for independence. Robert the Bruce was the Scottish noble who betrayed William Wallace, the character portrayed by Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart. But Sir Robert would eventually lead Scotland to freedom and become king of Scotland. Before his death, Robert the Bruce requested that his heart be removed and taken on crusade by a worthy knight. The heart of Robert the Bruce was embalmed, placed in a small container, and given to James Douglas, who wore the heart as a necklace in every battle. Douglas carried the heart of his king close to his own heart. In the spring of 1330, Douglas led a campaign against the Spanish Moors. The Moors proved to be a difficult opponent. During his final battle, Douglas was surrounded by the enemy with death closing in with unquestionable certainty, he tore the heart of his king from his neck. He threw it into the advancing army and shouted this, Fight for the heart of your king. Forward, brave heart. Forward. I will follow my king or die. The motto of Douglas Clan preserves the spirit of the patriarch with the single word but unmistakable legacy. The one word motto of the Douglas family is forward for the king. You see, God is on the mountain and he's inviting you and me to meet him there and to shake it up and climb. Oh God, help us. God, I pray that you would shake us up. I pray, God, that the dust of the caves of lethargy and, 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 and mediocrity and, and apathy and all the these, God, that you would remove it. And I pray that we would shake it up and get ourselves into the fabric of life and live like there's no tomorrow. And Lord, in order for that to happen, we must break the chains of our past. And we must meet you on the mountaintop. May we be the church that leads the way and climbs. In Jesus' name, amen.